why carriers need to get better at self-defense. I'm Jim Park. This is HTT Talks Trucking, Season 6, Episode Number 3. Trucking's response to a crisis often tends to be reactive and defensive. That can leave a carrier on its back foot when trying to defend a claim in court. It's not that we're no good at defending ourselves, it's that plaintiff's attorneys are better, and they're often better organized and prepared, and they're better funded. Can trucking level that playing field and start fighting back successfully? Brendan Dawson thinks we can. In fact, he thinks we must. He's an entrepreneur and a risk manager and a former fleet manager. He's the founder and CEO of Accident Plan, and he's the organizer of the Trucking Defense Network. We'll find out why Brandon thinks we need to start fighting back right after this. This episode is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a networking event where fleet managers and suppliers connect and collaborate. HDTX 2021 takes place August 25th through August 27th at the Scottsdale McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit HeavyDutyTruckingExchange.com to learn more. Brendan Dawson, welcome to HDT Talks Trucking. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. Great to have you, sir. I've been wanting to have this conversation for a long time, and insurance is one of those issues that affects like everybody. So I think uh, I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this one. Before we dig into the insurance question, though, um, you run a company called Accident Plan that's developed an app for drivers that can help improve uh, their data gathering capability at an accident scene. Uh, what's that app all about? Well, Jim, Accident Plan is basically a, a mobile app that takes the best crash management practices that truckers use and wraps them up and creates a mechanical advantage for the driver and the motor carrier. So we're going to walk that driver through everything they have to do in order to effectively manage a crash situation. And so we've taken the and, and built an application uh, that that tears a page out of the checklist manifesto. So we're, we're, we're borrowing from emergency services and aviation and giving that driver a protocol to follow that's going to bring in the best information that they can. Remember, when one of your trucks has an accident, your driver's the only one there. Not only that, but all the information that you need to manage that claim and potentially defend that claim is at the scene and it's going to disappear within minutes. And so accident plan objective is to give that driver a tool to gather that information that the motor carrier needs to, to manage, handle, and defend that claim. And what prompted you to uh, develop that app? Well, before I uh, started building, before I built Accident Plan, I was a, in charge of a fleet of about 35 mobile television production trucks running all around the country, producing sporting events for the NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball. And that was a hassle enough, but it became so difficult to manage even small accidents from a long distance away that the 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 just the prospect of having to deal with something catastrophic scared the daylights out of me, Jim. And so uh, I went looking for an application that would help manage the accidents from from a distance and help put the company in a defensible position, uh, which of course is my job as a risk manager. But I couldn't find one. 
And so I talked to other motor carriers. I talked to all my friends. Everybody did the same thing. They all said the same thing. Well, the driver gives us a call and we talk them through it and hope for the best. And that just wasn't satisfactory to me. No, that's a pretty lackadaisical approach to something as serious as a, as a truck crash. Well, I thought the same thing. And, you know, a couple of years later, after we built it, lo and behold, we've got the insurance situation that we have today. Yeah, really. Well, before we dig into insurance, I just want to ask you one more question. Uh, okay. On your LinkedIn profile page, you call yourself a dragon slayer. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> Well, Jim, that's a that's a metaphor that just kind of stuck. You see, uh, my oldest daughter had fled the nest, and when she when she left home, she left behind her collection of toy dragons. And I do product demonstrations right at my desk, and I do them live online. And so I have this little crash scene diorama on my desk made up of cars and trucks. And I decided one day to put the dragon in the middle of it, just to just to create a laugh. And uh, somebody called me the dragon slayer, and then it occurred to me that the dragon is metaphoric for all the things that can go wrong, all the things that can drive up the cost of claims. So it stuck. <laughs> That's pretty appropriate. I like that. Good deal. Okay, dragon slayer. Let's have a 40,000-foot look at the insurance industry here. We've got the American Transportation Research Institute's 2020 Top Issues Survey, ranking insurance in its fifth, uh, insurance costs, I guess, in its fifth place, one notch above driver retention. We have carriers that can't get insurance or who can, but they're paying double digit premium increases. Uh, last year, the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee approved an amendment that would increase the minimum insurance liability requirements for commercial vehicles from 750000 to $2 million. And we've got the so-called nuclear uh, jury verdicts that are coming in almost daily now against carriers. Would it be accurate to say that the trucking industry is facing an insurance crisis yet? Well, uh, Jim, when, when obtaining insurance rates are higher on the list than driver retention, I think the term crisis might be understating it. Yeah, I think so. So how, how, how's it got to this stage? Well, I think it's gotten to this stage by a failure to, ad to adapt to changing conditions. Uh, if, since you're reading ATRI reports, you probably read that one that came out fairly recently indicating uh, that the plaintiff's bar is very sophisticated and they share information with each other, which defense attorneys typically do not. And not only that, but the business model for the plaintiff attorney is a profit model. They make, the more they settle, the more money they take, the more money goes to the law firm. On the defense side, we're practicing a cost control model, whereas the less we spend on our defense, uh, the less we have to give up. And then that just doesn't seem to compute when you look at, at the 112% uh, loss ratios that are taking place across commercial auto insurance. That's huge, 112%. They're going exactly the wrong direction. In a big it's, way. It's an unsustainable model. It's yeah. an unsustainable situation. And many of the larger insurance carriers are just leaving the market. So how do we turn that around? I mean, I know there's a lot more questions to, to dig into here as far as insurance goes, but that seems to be the biggest question we have to address right now. The insurance industry has lost money on trucking for a long time now. Uh, they've got to recover that money back somehow. We're going to have to pay somehow. 
Uh, is there a better way to approach, you know, the unmanageable part of this, the crashes, the accidents, the the uh, lawsuits, the jury verdicts and stuff? Can that be handled better? Well, first of all, Jim, I think as an industry, we need to look internally and we need to look at our own practices and understand what are we doing that is causing uh, these kinds of these kind of settlements. And it's not just the nuclear verdicts, Jim. It's that the smaller settlements have gotten larger. What used to be a, a $25,000 uh, claim settlement has now ballooned to $150,000, $250,000. So it's raising those all across uh, all across the industry and contributing to it. We have a tendency to look at the nuclear verdicts, but that's not the whole picture. No, they attract and, all the attention, don't they? They're not really They attract big... all the attention. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, and we can't control tort reform. We can cry all day long about changing tort reform, but I'm not holding my breath for it to happen. As as a as a human being and a, a, a member of an organization and a member of an industry, I'm trying to encourage all of our people to look in inwardly and talk about the processes that we have that are manageable. The only thing I can control in my life is myself. So what can we do inside that is allowing it? It's my personal belief that we're getting our teeth kicked in because we make it so easy. We're not doing a very good job of defending ourselves as motor carriers, and we've taken a passive approach to it, which means, well, we'll you know, we had the crash, give them the information, the hot potato as fast as you can, let the insurance guys and the lawyers work it out. And that's just not, it's not sustainable anymore. Well, that's why, so, that's why we're paying so much, because we're, we're handing all that risk off to the insurance companies rather than taking some of it on ourselves. That's certainly certainly true, and that's that's one of the pillars of risk management. You know, driving your truck on the road is a risk, and what can you do with a risk? You either mitigate it first, or you transfer it to somebody else second. And and if you transfer it before you mitigate it, then there's no mitigation taking place. So I wanted to back up that process, change the way of thinking, and say what can we do ourselves to, to to combat this because you know we have to defend ourselves and the best defense is a good offense and it's it's no different than whether we were playing a football game or a basketball game if we're getting beat on the field whose fault is it you can't blame the other team jim <laughs> no uh well and, and in this case i think that's a good a good analogy you you said earlier that the the plaintiff bar is really well organized. They they're cooperative. They work together. They share their secrets. Do we have that same thing going on within the the, the trucking industry? Are our insurers, our people who work for us on our behalf, and are the carriers in fact pooling their resources, their intelligence, their initiative to uh, to come up with a solid you know unified defense here? Or are we all just fighting this separately? Are we slaying our own dragons? Or are we doing it for the team? Uh, that's it. We all have to become dragon slayers. And I think we do have a lot of dragon slayers. Uh, you know, there's some excellent organizations out there, the DRI, the Defense Research Institute, there's uh, Arkansas Trucking Association is doing great work, as is um, uh, TIDA, the Trucking, Insurance, Trucking Industry Defense Association, all doing good work. But what's not happening is, happening is a unified response to each situation. 
It's still a linear process of handing information down from one party to the next, to the next, to the next. And so it comes from the driver to maybe the dispatcher, maybe the maybe the senior safety person, and then it gets handed off to claims, and then it gets handed off to uh, to the insurance broker, and eventually a law firm, and eventually a forensics, or maybe an investigator. And by that time, the information, which was not collected very well at the beginning, has had an opportunity to degrade and delay all the way through the process. So our principle of operation here is rapid response equals rapid resolution. And we wanna bring all of those people together, all of those organizations together in a rapid response so that when a level two or a level three accident does occur, everyone is looking at the same information at the same time and collaborating on the important business decisions that have to be made. Okay, so if you deal with an accident, you know, on a, let's say you're, you're good at collecting data, you're using the uh, accident plan app, you've got pictures, you've got all the necessary information. Are we still behind the eight ball when we go into court? Can we do more? Yeah, stay out of court, for starters. <laughs> stay home, don't even bother driving. Well, no, you, you know, we say, we say a ship is safe in harbor, sure, Jim, but that's not what ships are for. That's right, yeah. Uh, the, but if you don't go to court, you can't have a nuclear verdict. And so the idea is to arm yourself with complete and rapid information at the beginning so that you can take a proactive approach to your defense instead of waiting for that letter of representation to show up and hope that it doesn't, you're going to take a proactive defense, uh, contact the person potentially, contact their attorney and work towards a mediation. You know, sometimes trucks mess up, Jim. That's the, that's just one of the concepts of the road. Yep. No matter how much focus we put on safety and we're doing a good job in, in very terrible conditions. Uh, so, but nonetheless, they happen, and sometimes they're all of our fault. And when they are our fault, uh, we have to settle it as quick as possible. Another thing we have to do, Jim, is there's a couple of myths that we have to destroy. Some myths that are very doing a grave disservice to our industry. And the first one is, it wasn't my fault, so I can't be sued. Okay, you call that a myth. I call that a myth. All right, explain. It wasn't my fault that it, but it can't be sued. We simply, we look at the facts of an accident, the fact of what happened in an accident, and it is clear from the fact pattern of that accident that our driver did not cause it. Okay. That our driver stayed in control. That the passenger vehicle was the one out of control. And statistics would suggest that's more often than not the case. By a factor of about 16 to 1, yes. Okay. However, it doesn't change the fact that we're going to get sued for it. And we have to defend ourselves no matter what. So with that reptile strategy that the plaintiff is practicing, we have to change our defense uh, somehow. And I'm not a lawyer, Jim. I see these things and I have these, I have these observations, but I'm not enough of, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't practice it, but we can, if we have enough information, we can get ahead of that and keep it out of the court. 
because, you know, we're being tried. If we go to court, we're not going to be tried on the fact pattern of the accident. We're going to be tried on the fact pattern of every mile we drove in the period leading up to that accident. That is the fundamental premise of reptile theory. And, and so if we made a mistake six months before the accident, now we're the bad guys. And the, the plaintiff attorneys are very, very skilled at making us out to look like bad guys. So first thing we have to do is change our image around, and get the public thinking that we're good guys, because in truth, we are good guys. So are you suggesting, and I know you're not offering legal advice here, but are you suggesting that it's probably better to try and settle, even if you know you're not at fault, if you're absolutely 99.9% convinced that you did nothing wrong? Is it better to try and settle these claims before they get to court? Well, uh, it's, it's possible, but and uh, most lawyers will tell you that it is possible, but the problem with that is it's unjust, and we perceive it as unjust. And it is unjust. Yeah, I would but agree. We, but it's but it's a reality of the situation. So, but we can't make that decision of whether to go to court and defend ourselves unless we have the material with which to defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you want to be frank about it, uh, what carrier doesn't have a skeleton or two in the closet? What driver doesn't have a skeleton or two in the closet? It's, it's a ridiculously hard job to do perfectly. Yep. Any job is hard to do perfectly, and we we travel in a very, very imperfect world. Well, let's talk about a recent nuclear verdict that shall remain nameless for the time being. I'm sure most folks will know what we're talking about here. Uh, that company was hauled into court not because its driver, or they, they lost that case, not because the driver did anything materially wrong at the scene, but because of some of the policies that the carrier had in place. And, and, and court apparently refused to acknowledge that they could have done better. Some say they lost that case on bad lawyering, not bad driving. How often does that kind of thing happen? One of the things that stood out in that particular uh, plaintiff's verdict was that the motor carrier in that case did not admit fault. They did not admit wrong at all. They said, it wasn't us. We don't have to pay, which is exactly what I was talking about before. The yep. fact, it, but it was a part of their policy that was allowed in that the reptile attorneys then used against them. And that's the part they weren't prepared for. And in that regard, that's, I'm sure that's changed the way a lot of defense attorneys think about how they approach that situation. Well, I hope they learn something from it. And, you know, they have to know, they have to know every ghost that's in the closet. They have to know every skeleton that's back there. And so uh, if you're a motor carrier and you're involved in a, in a, in a traffic accident, you should be prepared to have all that stuff ready to go okay. and know what's in it. So there's a potential conflict there. Uh, you're a motor carrier. You know you've got, you know, the odd skeleton in the closet, as it were. You want to keep it there. Uh, but in dealing with your insurance company, uh, you know, negotiating for premiums and, and, and the best policy you can get for the dollar, you're not necessarily going to want to expose all that stuff in early discussions. Does Are we doing something wrong by not being more honest and upfront with one another here? I, are we on the same side, the insurance company and the trucking industry? 
Well, I want to believe that, Jim, but uh, evidence says the contrary. There's an opacity. And every time I talk to anybody in insurance and some people in trucking as well, they acknowledge an opacity between the insurance carrier and the motor carrier. And that's because there's information there on which the rates are based, including frequency and severity. Underwriters at the core are actuarial. And so every, every number is a subset of another number. So if I don't show them everything, then mm, my numbers will look better. And that is effectively dishonest and it's very detrimental to the defensive motor carriers. If we could create transparency, because we live in the data age, Jim, Everybody knows everything because everything is recorded somewhere. So if we try to hide it, it's just going to come back and make us look like liars. Where if we can put it all out at the beginning, then uh, and and uh, let our defenders know what they are defending and let our insurance company see everything, warts and all, uh, we're better off. It's any it's it's the same as any other kind of relationship. Yeah, it's the surprises that come up and bite you, isn't it? It's the surprises that come up and bite us. The best relationship is an honest relationship, whether whether you're talking with your children or your spouse or your insurance. You know, my there's there's nothing my wife doesn't know about me. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Was this problem a, a, a cultural thing or is it structural? Is there is there something in the way of, of making these improvements or is it just the way we've always done things and we don't feel like changing it particularly? Well, I think all of those are true. Not only do we have some cultural problems, we have some structural problems, and we have environmental problems. Uh, and it's the environmental problems are the ones that we failed to adjust to, especially in, in the plaintiff's arena and in our own defense. Uh, in the structural problems, I think... Um, there, there are some uh, with the there are structural problems in the way we manage information and the way we share it with each other, and that is that is contributing to the opacity, uh, and that's one of the things that we're trying to break down. Both the accident plan and our work in the trucking defense network is to open up uh, open up those avenues for information so that the insurance carriers can get a more accurate picture. And the motor carriers can provide a, a more accurate and more honest uh, picture of, of their own operations. Keep all the information out in full view uh, so, that, uh, so that everybody can make proper business decisions. I'm speaking with Brandon Dawson. He's the founder and CEO of Accident Plan. When we come back after the break, we're going to discuss what carriers can do to up their risk mitigation game, and we'll take a look at the likely impact of increasing the liability insurance minimums. This is HDT Talks Trucking. I'm Jim Park. We'll be right back after this. HDT Talks Trucking is brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a relationship-building event hosted by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. HDTX is loaded with topical discussions and learning opportunities with some of the most innovative people in this business. HDTX 2021 takes place August 25th through August 27th at the Scottsdale McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale, Arizona. Managers of Class 7 and 8 fleets apply now to be our guest at HDTX 2021. 
visit heavydutytruckingexchange.com. We're back with Dragon Slayer Brendan Dawson. Uh, Brendan, going back to the mid-80s and deregulation, it was thought back in those days that the insurance industry would become the de facto police of the trucking industry. Uh, that really didn't happen. Uh, but insurance premiums that were thought to be, you know, the sort of the great equalizer, they didn't really change either. As far as minimums go, I've heard that, you know, if they were indexed to inflation from 750000 back then to today, uh, the minimum would be two to two and a half million dollars. Will increases of that magnitude mean a lot to small carriers, large carriers? What do you think is going to happen uh, if that number comes to pass or when that number comes to pass? Well, I think it is frightening people. Um, and I think the pe- the ones who it's going to frighten most are the ones who have fewer than $2 million in, in, in company or personal assets at stake, because uh, you're going to insure yourself for whatever, not, not, not for what the minimum is, but for what you have to protect. And so for the ones who don't have a lot of property or assets, that's the one that's going to affect the most because the, the, the companies that are already worth $2 million or more are already insured for that. Okay. And so the ones that are not worth $2 million, in other words, the smaller carriers are going to take the biggest hit. And that's going to include the owner operators, which make up the largest segment of of trucking as are those one and two two unit carriers so um it is going to it's going to be a hard hit for the honest carriers that's for sure is there any way to buy insurance on your insurance is there any way to mitigate that minimum or or somehow cut it down to a more reasonable level but still carry the insurance you need well, one of the one of the trends we're seeing these days is a big increase in the number of insurance captives and risk retention groups. And if you're not familiar with that term, what it means is a group of motor carriers get together with their own money and they pool their own money and create their own insurance company. Uh, a lot of the the mid-sized motor carriers in the 75 to 200 and above are already involved in this because one of the things that's that's causing this is in a general insurance pool for say a large insurer all of the high quality operators are swimming in the same loss pool that the low quality operators are. And so the higher quality operators are paying the premiums for the lower quality operators. And they don't like that. So if you set a standard, you get a group of trucking companies together, set your own safety and risk standard, pool your own money, then you're at least risking your own, your own money and, uh, and you're not swimming in that same loss pool with the bottom feeders. And then over time, when you're successful, that risk, that loss pool is making money and you can, you can then take dividends on the money. I, I don't see a problem with that. You know, foundationally, it sounds like a workable model, but where does that leave the, you know, the small guys? Uh, they're a big part of this industry. We, I, I don't think can do without them. We 
we can't do without them. Capacity is way too tight, yep. and they are they are the lifeblood. And I I am afraid I am out of solutions for that. Uh, I would like to brainstorm about it and uh, continue that conversation with all my friends in the insurance industry, which we have quite a few these days. And so, what I'd like to do is is if we're going to if we're going to pay that minimum anyway, I'd like to at least achieve an advantage where we can increase the capacity of the smaller carriers, the smaller uh, high quality carriers, and then uh, uh, get some of the bottom feeders out of the market. Well, I was going to ask you about the bottom feeders. If, if they can't afford $2 million in, in liability, that's probably a good thing. Maybe they will go away. Well, some say the barrier of entry into trucking is too low. Yeah, I would agree. And there, there's some sense in that. Yep. And uh, I've had some personal experience with that when I've witnessed accidents with uh, with fatalities that uh, that were that are never going to be paid for by a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So um, there could be a place for it. It's going to hurt. Change hurts. It's it's difficult to deal with. But, but it's going to take place. So it's not whether whether or not it's a good thing. It's how are we going to adapt? You know, I, I'm of two minds on that. It's the way of the world. It's the way of deregulation. Um, I have a fondness for owner-operators and mom-and-pop trucking fleets, but it's really difficult to see them surviving the next 10 years under that sort of a framework. It is difficult to see, and we I would like to be a part of the solution to that because I also have a fondness for the mom-and-pop trucker and the mom-and-pop business in general. So I think what is, what's going to support them, I hope, are their trade organizations. Uh, where is OIDA where is, where is in this for, for the small carrier, and what, what can they do to, to uh, bring them together and, and use the value of, of numbers, of the large numbers of ones and twos that we have to, to, to keep that loss pool down? Um, and what can what can they do and what can we do? Not only what they do, because what can we do to help educate those carriers, uh, those small one and two unit operators? How can we reach them in mass to help bring this in? And that's where the insurance needs to come in with some mass education. And we want to be a part of that as well. We, we I think it's. The answer lies in education and, and bringing them up to speed and, and helping to drive those costs down. Well, the other side of the coin is a, you know, a three-legged stool here. We've got you know, the carrier, the driver, and we've got the customer. Um, there's been some shippers involved in some of the forums and conversations I've been listening into in the last little while, and they don't seem to be particularly receptive to this problem. Uh, it's a rate issue, like fuel, right? It, it costs what it costs. You pay it, you stay in the game. If you don't, you disappear. Uh, faced with a, a, a very certain capacity crunch, if a lot of those small carriers go away, do you think there's any willingness on part of the shipping community? I know that's generalizing a lot, but uh, on the part of that crowd to accept rate increases or insurance surcharges or something that would uh, help everybody over this hump? Well, when you state it like that, Jim, I'm not sure that willingness comes into play at all. Um, I think what happens is when the when their cargo is sitting on their loading docks with nobody to move it, then the willingness will appear. Indeed, yeah. But we're not uh, there yet. 
but we're not there yet. It is a holistic problem. The, 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 the challenge I face is creating that awareness among all the parties in the holistic entity. It is a holistic entity and it's not just the shippers. It's also the brokers and the motor carriers and the insurance carriers and the insurance brokers and everybody else. This is a complex, this is a complex organism. And, uh, you know, most days, Jim, I'm just happy to have milk in my refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, that's. A, I bet that may become a luxury. It may, it may be. And if COVID taught us nothing else, it taught us how vulnerable our supply chain can be. Indeed. And so if all of the members of the supply chain don't collaborate on a solution, somebody's going to get left out. Let me ask you one last question before we wrap up here, Brendan. Okay. If you were the king of the world, how would you go about solving the industry's risk mitigation problems? <laughs> well, I'm I'm not the king of the world, Jim, but it's not going to stop me from trying to solve the the, the industry's risk mitigation problems. Um, you know, we're we're doing it with with our technology, but the technology is only as good as the people that surround it. So we uh, have created the Trucking Defense Network, and we are starting this effort by uh, with a monthly webinar uh, where we have guests from all facets of the supply chain and the insurance risk management area to come in and talk about uh, the issues and how we solve them. We're also uh, participating with Mark Tuckman. Uh, in uh, and tip national insurance in roundtables, uh, roundtable discussions, how we can continue to solve them. And basically, with the Trucking Defense Network, what we want to do is bring all of the parties together uh, so that we have an active defense. I'm, I want us to change what we're capable of changing. I'm not a lawyer. I can't change tort reform. Uh, even if I was king of the world, I don't think I could do tort reform, but I want to, I want to educate our industry and in what we can do ourselves to make a better risk management picture. Well, how can we get involved in the trucking self-defense network and where can we get hold of your accident plan app? Uh, you can find us at accidentplan.com. You can find the trucking defense network at truckingdefensenetwork.com. Uh, you can give them all my email address, brendan at accidentplan.com. All right. Small step forward, Brandon. I'm sure that's not going to be the, the last step in the solution here, but uh, thanks for explaining the problem to us. Hey, Jim, every journey starts with the first step. So here we go. Indeed. Brandon Dawson, thanks very much for talking to us today. Thank you for the opportunity, Jim. I appreciate it a great deal. HTT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HDTX is a networking event for fleets and suppliers that opens doors to long and beneficial business relationships. Join us August 25th through August 27th in Scottsdale, Arizona for HDTX 2021. To view this year's agenda and apply to be our guest at HDTX 2021, visit heavydutytruckingexchange.com. I hope you're enjoying Season 6 of HDT Talks Trucking. If you are, be sure to listen to some of our other new episodes, including a roundtable discussion covering the new administration, the economy, and trucking policy. If you like what you hear on HDT Talks Trucking, 
Help us grow our audience by spreading the word on social media. And give us a rating and a review if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. If there's something you'd like us to cover on HTT Talks Trucking, email me at jpark at truckinginfo.com. HTT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. 